0: In 1981, some of the residents of Skidmore, Missouri, located in the northwestern part of the state, waited. They just left a meeting discussing a way to handle a town bully. The 60 or so residents met that morning at the local American Legion and discussed a sheriff's patrol. They also discussed some of the specific problems people were having with the man. Down the road, the man finished a few drinks at the D&G Tavern bought a six-pack of beer and headed out to his truck. His wife was waiting. Then the first shot rang out, followed by several shots. When the noise ended, more than 40 town residents watched Ken Rex McElroy die. And the case remains unsolved to this day. Welcome to Quill and Dagger. It's True Crime Day, and we are discussing the vigilating town of Skidmore, Missouri, and the unsolved murder of Ken McElroy. I'm your host, Jay. Please give us five stars on the platform you're listening on. Every little bit helps. And if you want to help in other ways, go to our Patreon page and donate as you can. Now that's enough business. On to the case. Imagine a man so feared, so hated, and so arrogant that an entire town plotted to kill him because he was never convicted of his crimes. This town exists. It's Skidmore, Missouri, and in the early 80s had a population of about 400. Now, no one deserves to die, and everyone is entitled to due process. But that's all I'm going to say about that. So who is this man that drove almost 100 people in a plot to kill him? Ken Rex McElroy, Born June 1st, 1934 in Overland Park, Kansas, he was the 15th of 16 children to a poor migrant farmer and his wife, Mabel. Farmer's name was Tony. He moved between the Ozarks and Kansas before settling outside of Skidmore. Now, as far as education go, well, let's just say he dropped out of school at the age of 15 after almost completing the 8th grade, so... There really wasn't much of an education. He was, uh... Well, let's just say he quickly gained a less-than-stellar reputation. Picked up small-time thievery. Cattle rustling. Not even sure what rustling a cattle is, but... I think it has something to do with taking the cattle? I just don't know where you would take a cow. Can you hawk a cow? Can you, like, go to a pawn shop and get money for a cow? I don't know. But anyway, he would rustle cows. And he would womanize. And for the next two decades, his his crimes would range from stealing grain, gasoline, alcohol, antiques, and livestock, and he avoided conviction 21 times, often after witnesses refused to testify against him. In all, he was indicted 21 times, but escaped conviction each time except for the last time. In 1981, he was convicted of attempted murder in the shooting of the town's 70-year-old grocer, Ernest Bo Camp, One of McElroy's children got into an argument with a clerk named Evelyn in a local grocery store owned by the 70-year-old Bo and his wife Lois. Allegedly, the young McElroy tried to steal some candy, while well, McElroy began stalking the Bowen Camp family and eventually threatened Bo in the back of his store with a shotgun. The ensuing confrontation resulted in McElroy shooting Boenkamp in the neck. Bowen Camp survived, and McElroy was arrested and charged with attempted murder. McElroy appealed his conviction and was released on bond. So he was convicted, and he appealed, and the judge said, Okay, just, I know you've been convicted of attempted murder, but we're going to let you go. Just, you know, promise you won't do anything bad. Oh, my goodness. McElroy, he engaged in an ongoing harassment campaign against Bow and the others who were sympathetic to him including the town's Church of Christ minister. McElroy, armed with an M1 Grand Rifle and Bayonet, a little excessive, threatened to kill Bowen Camp at the D&G Tavern. Now, it's important. The next day, McElroy was shot to death in broad daylight. What you have is a town and some vigilantes, and they did what justice could not do. And They did it in their minds, and they are correct, and they were never cracked. They've never broken. Now, a vigilante is a self-appointed doer of justice. You know, it, it sounds noble, but but your face was their interpretation of justice. I mean, it's an old concept. I mean, everybody knows the story of Robin Hood, you know, take from the, steal from the rich to give to the poor, blah, 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 blah. And that was what he thought was unjust. The rich have money. These people are poor. So that's unjust. I'm going to take their wealth and give it to these people. Another thing that's a considered vigilante ism is uh, the fact that one of the pivotal moments in the history of the United States was an act of vigilantism. On December 16th, 1773, American colonists, tired of British taxation, took part in what would be known as the Boston Tea Party. They threw 342 chests of tea into Boston Harbor. The most famous vigilantes, though, are made up characters, like Superman, Batman, and everyone's favorite, Dexter. Let's look at Superman. Superman devoted his life to promoting truth, justice in the American way, even though he was from Krypton. He always was ready to fight a wrong or to save a life. I don't know why they didn't deputize him, say, hey, you're part of the FBI now. Now you can do this stuff legally, but they didn't. And Superman was a true vigilante operating outside the law. But he had a very strong moral compass that kept that kept him you know, doing good. Now here's one from the same world, uh, Batman. I mean, I love a good Batman movie. There's quite a few of them out there, but this one's interesting because you have to ask the question. Spoiler alert, Batman is Bruce Wayne. Is he mad or is he a hero? Now I think the following actions in that alley that killed his parents, little Bruce Wayne developed a way to deal with trauma. He developed a plan to rid his city of crime. Is it possible? That Bruce Wayne, after suffering a break in reality, began to visualize the different sides of his personality. The side who wanted to forgive and the side that wanted revenge. I think it's possible and who knows? I think it's possible that Bruce Wayne is sitting in Arkham Asylum. Which if you don't know, that's where all the, the crazy criminal people go in the DC Comics. He's sitting in Arkham, Arkham Asylum, fighting a constant battle of good versus evil in his head. The hero is Batman, and the villain is the Joker. But it's all inside Bruce Wayne's head. Which is why the Joker never gets killed, the Joker never wins. But he keeps trying, over and over and over. But he never can, because ultimately, the hero wins. Just something to think about. Now there's the, uh, the modern TV vigilante. Dexter. Dexter is a serial killer. They make no bones about it. Serial killer. He kills only other serial killers. I get it. Serial killers are bad. But doesn't that make Dexter bad? He's a serial killer. I mean, are we rooting for Dexter because we know his backstory? If the killer is killing the right people, we look away. See, that's what I mean by your own definition of justice. And that's what this town did. They developed their own definition of justice. They decided that Ken needed to die. And they were going to make sure that happened. Ken McElroy had 10 children by three different women. His last wife, who was in the truck during the shooting, her name is Trina McLeod. They met when she was 12 and in 8th grade. He reportedly raped her repeatedly. That's just horrible. Her parents were initially opposed to the relationship. You think? I mean, really, why weren't you calling the cops? Moving away, put a lock on her door, I don't know. But eventually her parents changed their minds and they became okay with it. The relationship, they came up, they were like, okay, we see this is gonna happen no matter what we say. So you can date our 12 year old daughter or 14 year old daughter, or however old she is at this time, Mr. Man, who's probably in his, what, 30s, in his 40s. That sounds like a good mix. It's just hard to conceive of that. But, you know, her parents, they changed their mind and they uh, allowed the relationship to continue and they allowed a marriage to happen. And reportedly, this all took place after McElroy allegedly burned down their house and killed the family dog. So after that, they were like, "Okay." once they were married, Ken and Trina moved in with his former wife, Alice. Now the theory is he married Trina to avoid statutory rape charges. They had their first child when Trina was 14, at which point her and Alice ran to Trina's house to hide. McElroy found them and brought them home. Then he returned to the house and guess what he did? He burned it down and shot the new dog. As McElroy aged, he got meaner and meaner and meaner. And we're talking way past get-off-my-lawn mean, Crazy mean. In one such instance, in 1976, he was shooting on a Skidmore farmer's ranch. Romaine Henry. Yes, I had to check. It's Romaine Henry. He was shooting on Romaine Henry's land, and Henry approached him and told him to stop. So McElroy just shot him in the gut. And then he stopped. Now, this case dragged on through the courts forever. McElroy's lawyer is apparently amazing. And Henry said that he could see McElroy parked outside his house over a hundred times. When the case finally came to trial, two raccoon hunters proved an alibi and McElroy was acquitted. Now, on the morning of July 10th, 1981, the townspeople met at the American Legion. The American Legion is like a, a get-together place. It's usually got a big hall, and they have meetings there. They play bingo, and it just—it's a good, you know, fun thing. And they brought with them Sheriff Estes, and the point was to discuss what can we do. We have this problem about this gentleman who's who's terrorizing the members of this town, and no matter what we do, or no matter what you do, Sheriff, you can't get anything to stick. And he's constantly harassing everyone, and it's just getting worse and worse now at the same time this meeting's going on mcelroy arrived at the dng tavern with his wife trina and uh i'm guessing she sat in the truck because that sounds like something he would make her do sit in the truck and wait while he went and had a couple drinks so he sat there and he drank at the bar and word got back to the legion hall that he was in town so sheriff estes instructed the the group not to get into a direct confrontation with him leave him alone, walk around, go to another bar, do not under any circumstance confront him and that they should seriously consider forming a neighborhood watch program. I'm not sure what that would do, but they should consider it. And then the sheriff got in his car and drove out of town. The citizens, well, they decided to go to the tavern in mass, all of them, just a big crowd of people walking down the street, going to go get a beer at the tavern. The tavern filled up and yeah, he was there. And a lot of the other people, they just kind of waited outside. About 40 of them just kind of stood out there. Now, after uh, McElroy finished at the bar, he purchased a six-pack of beer and left. I did not know you could buy beer at a bar and take it with you. This is this opens up a whole new, new world to me. So he walked along the Chevy Silverado with a look of complete apathy. He wasn't afraid. He just didn't care. It wasn't that contempt look. It was that... I don't care if you exist or not. I really have no opinion. Don't care. And he opened the door, slid into the driver's seat next to his wife, Trina. And then all of a sudden, bang, he was shot. He was shot several times. He was only hit twice. Once by a centerfire rifle and once by a .22 rifle. It's just two different kinds of uh, ways of two different types of ammunition, basically. I'm not talking caliber, just how they're ignited. You know, all in all, there were more than 40 people watching this take place. And Ken, he died. Nobody did first aid. Nobody did any aid. Nobody called an ambulance. Nothing. They just watched. Trina was still in the truck, but she was not hurt. Now, Trina claimed to ha- that she could identify the gunman. Every other witness was unable to name the gunman. They claimed that they ducked when the shot started and didn't, they didn't see anything. The local district attorney he declined to press charges and uh, the feds came in and they grilled these people and nobody saw a thing except for Trina. And her story never changed. She said she knew who the shooter was and it was reported in People Magazine and she named a specific individual. I'm not going to go into who he was because he was never convicted or charged in the case. But she named somebody who was in the crowd as the one who killed her husband. So. After three separate grand juries, she was the only one talking, and none of the dozens of witnesses saw anything. On July 9th, 1984, so I guess by the you know year or so, a couple years later, Trina McElroy files a $5 million wrongful death lawsuit against the town of Skidmore, the county of Nowaday, Sheriff Danny Estes, Steve Peters, who was the mayor of Skidmore, and the accused shooter. So $5 million in 1983 or 84 is a lot of money. The case was settled out of court for $17,600. And so she got to keep that or pay for the lawyers. It's really a shame. Now, the story of Ken McElroy is, it's it's one of failure. I think it's it's a failure of society. It's a failure of parents. It's a failure of him. It's a failure of everything, everyone. I can't really say the town did the right thing. Mob justice is not justice. I can see why they felt they had to do something. I mean, what would you do if you lived in Skidmore in the early 80s? I mean, and don't sit there and go like, oh, I would have stopped him. No, you wouldn't. No, be honest with yourself. Think about it. What would you have done? You have a guy who, he, if he says he's going to shoot you, he's going to shoot you. It's like, there is no bluff to be called. He just does it. I don't know what I would do. I would probably, as I would love to tell you, I would do something wonderful and somehow stop it but really there's not much you can do apparently ken had a really good lawyer which got him off on a bunch of crimes they should have let him live they should have let him go through and finish the appeal process because he'd already lost that case once odds are he was gonna lose it again and then he would be in jail and nobody's problem i want to thank y'all who are listening out there we're in this for the long haul so don't, don't give up. We'll be back next week with another episode. I'm thinking the Satanic Panic of the 80s and 90s. It's really, really fascinating. It's really scary. Not in a Satan way, but more of a, how could this happen in today's world? How can this be? But it did happen. And we're, we're, it's not possible to do this without our audience support. Please give us some stars. Comments, comments, comments. Let me know what you, if you think I'm horrible. I need to know this. This is the only way I can get better is if you tell me how bad I am. And, you know, try to actually tell me how bad I am, not just you suck. Something else. Tell your friends about us. And if you wish to contribute, you can go to our Patreon link. It's in the show notes. Link to our website's in the show notes. Have a wonderful week, and I'll talk to you later.